Um, I wanted you to see those videos. We will um, next week show a couple more videos as we display um, to all of you our mission partners that uh, we have relationships with all around the world. And um, today is actually a special opportunity because while we saw two of them on, on the screen, Emmy is actually here with us. So Emmy, why don't you uh, join me on stage? This is uh, Emmy Sarah, who you just saw on the screen. And um, Emmy is here because he is delivering his son, Emmanuel, to us. And uh, Emmanuel will be with us um, throughout this school year. And he was up here playing bass a little bit earlier. He will be a junior at Christian Heritage School starting tomorrow. And uh, so you'll see Emmanuel around um, serving in our church on the worship team. Um, but Emmy is here just for a couple of Sundays. He'll be here this Sunday and then also next Sunday. And he's traveling um, a little bit around the U.S. Um, but we are so thankful for your partnership and for you, Nadia, and your family and all of Genesis Church. Is there anything else you want to share with us? And then I'm going to pray for you and for Donnie and um, uh, Ray Nostria. Thank, thank you so much. I'm so excited being here, um, and I just want to, to say that this is a great feeling that I belong to a great family, uh, the church that is the body of Christ here in America. So I will become more vulnerable because I let part of my life here, my son, will be with you. So I'm so excited to be here, and I'll be here through him. So, mm -hmm. thank you again. I'm praying for you, and I want to bless you. Be blessed. God bless you, and I, I, I know I'll let him in a good hand. So, thank you very much. Amen. Amen. Well, no, stay here. Uh, I'm going to pray for Emmy, and uh, Emmy's church is Geneza Church, and then Donnie, the second video you saw, is the pastor of Reynostria. So let me pray for both families and both churches. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to spend um, this weekend with Emmy and Emmanuel both, and uh, Father, for the long-term partnership that we've had with uh, these two families and two churches in Cluj-Napoca. And Father, we thank you for the many years uh, of, of sponsorship and partnership with Jerry Wells, who, who went to train pastors and then um, left behind him pastors that were well-trained, that would continue to teach others, make disciples, and equip uh, more pastors. So Father, we thank you for the health of of these two churches, uh, Geneza and Renastria, and as well as many other good churches in Romania. Um, and Father, we thank you for the Bible College and the ministry happening there um, that Emmy and Donnie and, and others are involved with, for the ministry of the school that uh, Emmy and Nadia both uh, teach at, the Christian High School, um, for the ministry that Donnie does through Eche Homo and, and various social projects that he's able to serve those hurting and um, those that are sick and those that are in poverty in the area. Um, Father, there's so much good ministry happening um, through these partnerships that we have. And so, Father, we pray for your blessing over them, um, over the families. We thank you particularly for Emmanuel being here to serve uh, along with us and become a part of our family for a season of time here at Fellowship. And I pray your protection over him and over Emmy as he travels uh, this week throughout the U.S., but then um, returns to us next weekend, and then will return home to his family um, the following week. And so, Father, we pray your protection um, over both the Gruyan family and the Sirah family and Ray Nostria Church and Geneza Church, um, Father, as they continue to proclaim the message of your gospel and make disciples in Romania. We thank you for the beauty of partnership across cultures and languages because of your, your blood and your spirit bringing us together, uniting and bringing together the body of Christ. We praise you, Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Emmy. Um, it has been a joy to have uh, Emmy and Emmanuel both with us, um, and so if you want to come and introduce yourself, to, they'll both be here for two Sundays, and then Emmanuel, like I said, he'll be with us for about 10 months serving in various capacities. Um, I want to let you know, tonight is our congregational meeting, and there is ice cream, and it will be right out there 
in the gym, and so um, you can come. You don't, we're not going to force ice cream on anybody if you just want to, if you're one of those healthy-minded people, and you just want to come and enjoy the, the reports, um, you can hear that. There will be reports from our elders, from our deacons, from um, various staff members uh, updating on different ministries of the church. So we'd love for you to be there um, at 6 o'clock this evening, and there will be some child care provided um, after the ice cream. So you get to sit with your kids and eat ice cream. That We will have servers for the ice cream as just a precaution, so we're not sharing serving spoons and all of that uh, down the line tonight. So if you're concerned about that, you should know the ice cream will be served to everybody tonight as a precaution. Um, but also, um, we would just love to have you there. And is it, it, to be clear, um, non-members are welcome at this meeting. And this is not a meeting where we will vote on specific issue. We will talk through some financial issues. And for members, after the fact, the video of the presentation will be made available for a limited time on our YouTube page. Um, but if you are visiting and just want to learn more about the church, you're welcome to join us um, this evening, even if you are not a member. Um, also, Awana, our Awana ministry, ministry will start back on Sunday evening of next week at 6 o'clock. So congregational meeting tonight. Uh, next Sunday is our Awana first meeting. And, um, and then after that is our missions conference. And you, you should have gotten a flyer as you came in the door. If not, there are more out there in the lobby with the schedule for that. It will be throughout the day on Saturday. Events Saturday morning and then Saturday evening as well. So please make note of that. We're excited. We have a special guest speaker that will be joining us for that. Um, also, um, we are, um, I sent out a, a message to all of you this week to let you know that we as elders are continuing to pray and consider through responding to the rise in COVID cases locally. We're concerned, we're aware, we want to walk wisely. And so the first step in responding to that is we are bringing back our early service outside to create just another opportunity for regular weekly worship. So that will mean that starting in September, our 915 service will be back outside, just right in this section of the parking lot behind me. 915 every Sunday, we'll have worship out there as well as having 10.30 still in this room every Sunday. And the live stream will, uh, like it was back in the spring and last fall, live stream will be available uh, only at 10.30, and then uh, kids ministry is only during the 10.30 service as well. So if you want to come and, and join us for outdoor worship at 9.15, um, starting uh, the first Sunday in September, which is Labor Day weekend, but we'll wait and we'll, we'll go ahead and start that weekend. We'll do... Um, September, the first Sunday, I don't remember the name, the, the date, guys, but next two weeks from now is the missions conference, and after the missions conference, we'll move back to two worship services weekly, one outside, one inside. Okay, last thing, this is a praise, just a celebration of the faithfulness of God and, and the generosity of um, this church. Last week, I asked you to stick around and to uh, circle your cars around to be washed because we were raising some money for the Moyer family as they um, hope to purchase a new van and uh, for their wheelchair, access, a wheelchair accessible van for their son. And we were able to raise over $4,000 last Sunday through that. So thank you. Thank you for supporting our youth as the youth were doing all the hard work uh, last Sunday, but also for supporting that family who we love dearly and we want to help in this uh, time of need. So thank you for your generosity there. And they still will have uh, more needs and we'll, we'll let you know how you can continue to partner with that family. Um, I'm going to ask you now to turn to Luke chapter 9. We're going to continue in the book of Luke. And the whole question of Luke is, how do I follow Jesus in the midst of this life that I live, in the midst of the challenges that I face in my life today. We want to take a, an ancient book, a 2,000-year-old biography of Jesus, and we want to learn from this 2,000-year-old biography of Jesus, how do I follow Jesus today? How do I seek for purpose in the midst of life's complexities today? And that will be our focus um, for today. But before we jump too deeply in, I want to talk about a little bit about what is going on in our world today. 
The, the news is hard. The events of even this morning are hard to swallow. If you watch the news this morning, you know that um, in Afghanistan, the Taliban has been moving for, for days now and has surrounded Kabul and entered Kabul today. And many of us probably remember what it was like in 2001 to send American troops in to overthrow the Taliban. And we saw one regime fall in 2001 through the, the, the working of American troops there. And now today, we see another regime fall in Afghanistan. And it's hard to swallow. It's hard to understand all that is going on. And I'm not making any comments on specifically um, the policies of what's going on. But I'm simply saying most of us have seen over the course of 20 years as we've engaged and, and seen our American forces fight in Afghanistan, we've watched with pain as we've seen the struggle, seen one regime fall and now another regime fall. And it's an illustration for us that human kingdoms rise and fall. And, and if you look beyond the events of Afghanistan, where, which is in turmoil today, Haiti is in turmoil today. Lebanon is in turmoil today. And even our country in the midst of the battle over, over what to do in response to COVID is in turmoil in many ways today. And in all of these moments, we see governments and societies war with each other. We see kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. And what is the answer? What is the hope in the midst of all of this? Well, Luke chapter 9 makes it very clear what we are to be about as followers of Jesus. Luke chapter 9 is an incredible, hopeful passage for us in the midst of all of the turmoil that we see all around us. It reminds us that while we should pray for, support, encourage good human governments, that at the end of the day, we are citizens called to proclaim another kingdom. And as we rise kingdom as we watch kingdoms rise and fall in our day, as we watch kingdoms war with each other in our day, here comes the message of Jesus's kingdom in to give us a greater authority and a greater hope. And so this is Luke chapter 9. Jesus called the 12 together, Luke 9:1, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. He said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there from there depart. Wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Here is the great purpose of the believer in Jesus. Jesus is sending out his earliest disciples with the same commission that he sends us out with today, to proclaim the coming of a new kingdom, to proclaim the coming of a new authority, an authority that the disciples actually carry with them. What, what Jesus is saying, what, what Luke is saying about the way the disciples went out is when Jesus commissioned his followers to go, he didn't just give them a message, he gave them the power and the authority to go with the message. So they were not passively proclaiming something of which they had no experience. They were not passively trying to, to discuss things with people. They were not trying to convince people of something that they weren't sure about themselves. They were passionately, not passively, passionately proclaiming a new authority that had taken them over themselves. A new authority that had crashed into their lives and changed everything. Uh, think about it this way. Do you have two disciples that, that almost nobody ever brings this out? There was Simon, not Simon Peter, Simon the Zealot. And there was Matthew, who was what? A tax collector. Did you know that they would have hated each other? Without a doubt. 
A zealot was one who was there to overthrow the Roman government of his day. He, to call somebody a zealot, that wasn't just a description of him. That was a political group of the day whose sole purpose was to, through force, overthrow the Roman occupation of Israel. And yet, Matthew was an employee of the Roman occupation of Israel. And so when those two both sought to follow the same Jesus, the same Lord, the same rabbi, the same teacher, what they had to do is they had to throw off all former allegiances because a zealot and a tax collector would not have sat in the same room and shared anything. But Jesus brought the higher authority. Jesus brought in citizenship of a new kingdom. And so all weekend I've been um, spending my time with two citizens of a different nation as we've had two Romanians, Emmy and Emmanuel, with us. And it's a reminder to us that what unites us is so much more significant than anything that language, culture, or national identity could divide us. Because as we share meals and as we share time in our home, we share as equal parts in the body of Christ We share the spirit of God and the blood of Christ has poured out for each of us. And for that reason, what binds us together is so much stronger than anything that would divide. And so the message of of the Christian is the new kingdom. And the means of delivering this message that Jesus sent out his disciples with is the power of God on display through healing. And the purpose of of our lives then is to proclaim that same kingdom, to proclaim the coming of the same authority, to proclaim the coming of salvation to all. And God has fully poured out his power at the cross. And so the message for us, the message of salvation at the cross, the message of Jesus in him crucified. In fact, this is the way Paul would say it. Paul said, that I decided, 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, he said, I decided to know nothing amongst you. He's talking to the church in Corinth. I decided to know nothing amongst you except Christ and him crucified. Now, we need to really actually think about what that verse is saying here. What is the purpose of Paul's interactions with the Corinthians? Quite simply, his purpose is to tell them about Christ and him crucified. What is the secondary purpose? There is none. The purpose is Christ and him crucified. And he literally said, I decided to know nothing. Now, did Paul have other opinions? Sure, he did. Did Paul have other training and other expertise? Sure, he did. But when he was in Corinth, he made it his priority to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. So what is our purpose? That's that's our focus for today. Our focus for today is to find our purpose purpose in the midst of complexities. And what I'm going to bring us is that Jesus, following Jesus, brings purpose in our words, purpose in our provision, purpose in our questions, and purpose in our challenges. And so what Paul and Jesus show us, Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 and Jesus here in Luke 9, is that the overall purpose in our words is that what we speak are words of life our words of a new kingdom, our words of a new authority, our words of a new power. Our loyalty is to Christ and him crucified, and we have all sorts of discussions about other matters. Did did Paul care about other matters? Absolutely, yes. Read 1 Corinthians. There's a lot of stuff in there. But you know, the interesting context of the book of 1 Corinthians is that Paul is writing to help them deal with debates within the church. That's the purpose of 1 Corinthians. He's helping bring order to the church. But what 1 Corinthians 2.2 is saying in context is, I didn't have time to deal with, with giving you directions for how to run your church when I was there because all we talked about was Jesus and him crucified. It's actually really fascinating to think about. That when he was there in the flesh, the biggest priority was that everybody understood Jesus died and Jesus rose again and we have new life in Jesus because he paid for our sin on the cross. That is the first priority and the only priority. But then, as issues arose, he said, we'll we'll address those issues. So I don't mean to say that those issues and those challenges, those disagreements are not important. They certainly are. But the first priority is always Jesus So if we are searching 
for purpose in our lives. Here it is. Christ Jesus and him crucified. The new authority, the new power of a new kingdom. That Jesus has broken into human history. That when he showed up in ancient Israel in the first century, that Jesus the Messiah was born as a baby and all of human history changed when that baby was born. Because all of a sudden, all of history was moving to that point. All of the prophecies of Old Testament Israel were moving to that point until Jesus came and started to fulfill prophecy after prophecy after prophecy until he was crucified and he died. And he received the condemnation for all sin only to be revived, to raise again and so conquer death so conquer our greatest enemy, Satan, and so conquer our sin at the cross. And so as we search for purpose and, and we ask the question as we do all the way through the book of Luke, how do I follow Jesus? Here's answer number one. We follow Jesus by finding great purpose in the words that we speak, by finding great purpose in the message that we proclaim. Think about your conversations this week. Think about your conversations as you go about your life. Think about your conversations as you're tired or as you're anxious. What is the focus of them? For us, as new creations in Christ, as ambassadors of Jesus, we are being called. We are being welcomed into the family of Jesus and called to live for his kingdom. First and foremost, Christ and him crucified. But he also brings purpose in our provision. We're going to skip over verses 7 through 9 and come back to them. But I want you to go to verse 10 of Luke chapter 9 now. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. So he sends out the apostles, says, preach the gospel, heal the sick. And they see people. They see people that are healed. And they see people that receive the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the new authority of Jesus. And as the disciples were telling him all that they had done, he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And the crowds followed, as they always did. But he welcomed the crowds in, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. Look at the disciples and Jesus's interaction here. We always want to, want to see, we will always want to highlight where the disciples might be getting confused because they're kind of like us, where the disciples understand things and where the disciples don't understand things. And right here, this is one of those things where the disciples think the solution is, let's just get rid of these people we're not going to feed them. Let's let them fend for themselves. Jesus turns it back on the disciples and says, guys, why don't you do something about this? Don't send them away. Why don't we feed these people? But they said to Jesus, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless you want us to go and buy food for all of these people. And there were about 5,000 men, which means there were more women and children. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And, they, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. So this is a miracle that we're all familiar with. It's one of the first ones that, we've, that we hear about. As kids, any of us that grew up in the church, we heard about this. This is a demonstration of Jesus' power, that Jesus demonstrates his power by bringing, uh, by bringing food to thousands of people, more than 5,000 people. Thousands of people are fed that day from five loaves and two fishes because he just miraculously breaks them apart and they keep being pieces and pieces and pieces and basket after basket, person after person is provided for. But I want us to really think closely about this to say that even after what the disciples had seen, they were again surprised by Jesus' provision. They were again surprised by the way in which Jesus brought a supernatural solution to a natural problem. 
And may that not be true of us. May we be continually reminded of the fact that natural problems and supernatural problems have supernatural solutions. Solutions that can only be found in God's provision. And he is offering to us his provision each and every day. And I know, I know that we take his provision for granted. I know it. And you know how I know it? Because I know what we do when we eat. I know what we do when we go to eat food. And it's just sort of a, a formulaic prayer, right? We thank God for our food as a custom, as a normal practice. It's what we feel like Christians should do. But where is your heart in those prayers? Where is your heart in those prayers as you're sitting with your family? Sometimes our heart in those prayers is just to get through it quickly because the kids are squirming around. Because the, when, you're, when you have three young children at the dinner table, they're already fighting before you go to the Lord in prayer. And then you've got to kind of get through the prayer quickly or else you're yelling at each other in the midst of prayer or you're staring at somebody. You know, that, that's not the prayerful attitude, right? Yeah, you have a, a seven or a nine-year-old that you're just like glaring at as you're, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Jericho, you don't you move. Thank you, Jesus, for this food, but don't, don't you move. We all do that. And we all skip through those prayers of thankfulness, those prayers of, of praising God for provision. It's not just when we eat, it's every night that we go to bed in, in a safe home. It's every morning we, we wake up and draw that first breath and recognize that we have another day to live in this life that God has given us. But see, this is, this is the reminder for us, is that everything, everything that we have, every meal, Every safe night's sleep, every healthy heartbeat, every healthy breath, every dollar in your bank account or in your wallet is not provided by your own hard work first. It is provided by Jesus. It is provided by the God who so richly blesses us. But we are so, so used to thinking that we deserve it, that we worked for it, that we're the ones that earned it. When really, we recognize that if not for Jesus' protection and provision over us, we could have been put into a place in which we had no ability to provide for, protect ourselves. It's a reminder we should be living with, and it's a reminder we should be responding to with gratitude. Yeah, you should work hard, and I know many of us do work hard, but we work hard recognizing that it's God's provision, that it's God who provides us who provides that for us. And so where is your heart in the midst of the provisions that he has given? Are you, are you just mechanically giving thanks to him in prayer? Or are you out of heartfelt gratitude and devotion to him, recognizing that even that sandwich that you packed for your lunch at the office is a rich blessing and provision from him? Are you remembering that as you fuel up your, your car to drive to work in one morning that that gas is only provided by God's grace and provision for you. We walk, we walk a delicate tightrope in this issue because this is what the disciples were doing here. The disciples were saying, we have no solution, we have no ideas, Jesus. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Do something, disciples. See, the disciples saw an insurmountable problem and they didn't see a natural solution. So the disciples said the natural conclusion is just send everybody away. When Jesus is questioned to the disciples, I believe what Jesus is questioning to the disciples is not to tell them, go buy food. But when Jesus says, you give them something to eat, Jesus is trying to stretch their faith muscles and they're refusing it. Jesus is trying to push them out of their comfort zone and get them to think, well, guys, is there any way that maybe we could feed these people? You think there's no way, there's just too many of them. But think about it, guys. Could we? Do you think, do you think we could provide food here? And so we walk this delicate tightrope where, where we are not trusting in our own actions, but we are acting, right? In the midst of the natural problems that we face in life, we want to be working towards solutions. But as we work towards solutions, we have to be very careful that we are still trusting in God's provisions and not our own good ideas. So neither attitude is right. Neither the attitude of just sitting back 
and letting God solve all of the problems in the world while we sit and wait and do nothing. That's not the right attitude. But neither is the right attitude to go and try to solve every problem on our own without him. We have to wait for his action while still planning and plotting our own actions in faithful following, in faithful discipleship, following after him to help those that are hurting, to help those that are broken, to proclaim the gospel to the lost all the while recognizing that it is his spirit who regenerates people. We partner with him in that task. So Jesus brings purpose in our words and the words that we speak every day. Jesus brings purpose in the midst of even the little provisions that he provides every day. Jesus also brings purpose in our questions. Uh, Herod shows up here. This is Herod the Tetrarch, who is the son of Herod the Great. Uh, Herod the Great was the one that we saw when Jesus was born. But verse 7, we'll go back to verse 7 through 9 and then go on from there. Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, meaning the people that were getting healed, the miracles that Jesus was doing and the miracles that that Jesus' disciples were doing. And Herod was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Now we're going to go on and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Verse 18, we're going to skip ahead again. Now it happened that Jesus was praying alone. The disciples were with him. He asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? Remember, we were just reading about how Herod was perplexed. And Herod was thinking that the crowds were saying, it's, this is John or Elijah. So Jesus then brings that question to the disciples. Herod says the crowds are thinking John or Elijah. Disciples, what do you think? So the disciples answered Jesus' question, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say I am? So here we have three different groups here. We have Herod, the Roman ruler. Here we have the crowd of Jews, and here we have the disciples. And Herod is confused that crowd is confused. And here the disciples upon the first question are kind of like, eh, what do we actually say here? Some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist. And and here's the point here. Uh, Jesus brings purpose in the midst of our questions when we are truly seeking to have our questions answered. There's a fascinating line about Herod in this this passage. Herod sought to see him. Did Did you hear that? Did, did you see that in verse 9? The, the very last sentence there. Herod sought to see Jesus. Now, where, when did Herod see Jesus? Right before the crucifixion. The, 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 when the trial came. He actually went, he went back and forth between Herod the Tetrarch and between Pontius Pilate. And that's where Herod saw him for the first time. Do you know how much time passed? A lot. A lot of time So let's be clear here. Herod gets no credit for wanting to see Jesus here. Herod gets no credit for his passive reaction of, wow, I'm perplexed. That's strange. Some say it's John, but I killed that guy. Some say it's Elijah, but that guy died a long time ago. I wonder what's going on. Gee, it would be nice to see this Jesus at some point and really find out who it is. I think a lot of times, Those in our society and in our culture have that sort of approach to Jesus of maybe it's true, maybe the Bible's true, maybe Jesus is the Son of God. You know, I just don't know. It's so hard to figure out. I have so many questions. I don't know if Jesus is who he says he is. Or there's so many different churches out there, there's so many different denominations, and they tend to say different things about Jesus. So I don't know who to believe, I don't know what to believe, and I just get overwhelmed with it. Do not take that Herod-like approach to Jesus of, Jesus of just saying, well, I wonder. It would be really nice to know the answer. Pursue the answer. Pursue the answer to your questions. And Jesus brings answers to those that are really asking. Herod could have seen Jesus anytime he wanted. 
He was the king. He was really more of like a governor. But he could have seen Jesus anytime he wanted. All he had to do was tell his soldiers to go get Jesus. Everybody knew where he was. 5,000 people, over 5,000 people, were just miraculously fed by him. Everybody knew where he was. If Herod wanted to see Jesus, he could have gotten his answers. But for Herod, it was passive curiosity. It wasn't a passionate pursuit of the truth. So this is the warning for us as, as Christians, as, as churchgoers. May we not be passive in our pursuit of answers from the holy God. May we be passionate in our pursuit to try to find out who he is, what he expects of us. How do I follow him in the midst of the changing days, in the midst of the challenges that I face? How do I follow you, Jesus? Because he reveals the answers. Peter speaks up among the disciples when Jesus asks of the disciples. Peter speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the Christ of God, the Messiah. It's important to know that in the New Testament, Christ is the Greek word for Messiah out of the Hebrew. And so Christ and Messiah are used interchangeably in the New Testament. And so what what Peter is actively saying here is you're the guy they wrote about. You're the guy that all those Old Testament prophets were talking about. The son of David, the king that would sit on the throne in Jerusalem, the rod out of Jesse, the one who would come and conquer all of Israel's enemies. You're him. You're the Messiah. Peter in, um, it's not in Luke, but in Matthew, Jesus looks at Peter and says, blessed are you because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Here's our point. Jesus brings purpose in the midst of our questioning. Don't run from your questions. Don't pretend your questions don't exist. If you have questions about who God is, what it means to follow Jesus, how you live in light of him, ask those questions. Ask those questions in the midst of community. Ask those questions of the scripture. Ask those questions of his presence. And the spirit of God reveals the answer here to Peter. And so he brings purpose in the words that we speak, purpose in our provision, and purpose in the questions that we ask and finally, he brings purpose in our suffering. Jesus' response to Peter then is to charge and command Peter and the other disciples not to tell this truth to anyone. Because he says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, then he will be raised again. And then he went on to say, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself take a big cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory. And the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Notice first, Jesus does not ask us to suffer before he promises his own suffering. Jesus does ask us to suffer. He does ask us to endure in following him. When he says, take up your cross, he is predicting suffering for those who follow Jesus. And he's not just predicting occasional suffering, he's predicting daily suffering for many. He is saying the road of following Jesus will involve taking up a cross daily. Not occasionally, not monthly, not yearly, not once. Take up your cross daily and follow me. He's saying be willing to suffer, be willing to face agony, be willing to be persecuted, be willing to be hated by all for the sake of following me. That's what he's saying. But before he says that, he predicts his own suffering on our behalf. And that's the kind of story that he draws us into. He doesn't draw us into a story in which he's calling us to suffer when he's unwilling to suffer himself. He's calling us in to follow him. He doesn't send us out in front of him where he's not going himself into suffering and pain and agony. He's saying, follow me through the suffering. And then Hebrews says that he is able to sympathize with us. He is able to sympathize means suffer with 
He is able to suffer with us in the weakness that we face because he's already endured it. And what he has endured is worse than any what we will endure because he has endured the, the sin of mankind being poured out on him. And he did it willingly for the sake of us, for the sake of his great love for us. And so, following Jesus means you will suffer, you will suffer pain, you will suffer persecution, you will suffer great hardship. Jesus promises, in this world you will have trouble, take heart, I've overcome the world. Paul says, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now maybe you haven't endured physical persecution um, for your faith at this stage, but we are all under the constant spiritual persecution of great spiritual forces of darkness that do not want us to follow Jesus. So whether it's physical or spiritual, there are enemies attacking us every day. But following Jesus, guys, this is our purpose. This is, this is the way. This is the way forward. This is the way forward in the changing society of our day. This is the way forward 2,000 years ago in the changing society of their day. This is the hope they had. This is the hope we have. That the Jesus that promised he would suffer really did. And when he suffered, he received our sin. And then he poured out his blood so that we could receive his righteous life. And that offer still stands for you. It doesn't matter how good of decisions you've made in your life. It doesn't matter how faithful you've been up until this point. The offer stands for each of you to receive the goodness of Jesus at the cross and to receive his payment for your sin. That he has paid for your sin and he has risen again for your life and he makes that offer to you. And guys, there is nothing else more important than that very message. There is nothing that is more important than that truth. That's who we are. This is who we are. A people that are united by a purpose. In the words we speak, a purpose in the great blessings that we receive, a purpose in the midst of really difficult questions and really difficult challenges. There's all this talk about the social fabric of our society or of our nation. And it feels like as a people, we, we are breaking apart. And there's great fear, there's great concern, and that's right on so many levels. It is right to be concerned about that. But what is the fabric that binds together the body of Christ? It is the shed blood. It is the indwelling spirit. And that still remains. No matter what happens out there, what happens within the body of Christ is that suffering actually unites us. Challenges actually bring us together. And so th that needs to be our focus in following Jesus, is that we take great care and, and find great purpose in the words that we speak to proclaim the gospel to the lost, to be Christ's ambassadors, and to proclaim his kingdom above all the kingdoms of the world. Let's praise him for the provision he gives. Let's ask the questions in faith that he has the answer. And let's speak with great clarity, walk with great clarity that Jesus, who suffered for us, now provides for us in the midst of our suffering. So the, the team is going to come and lead us in worship, but, but as they come up, I want to ask you, if you were to really take an account of the purpose with which you live your life, what would be the answer? What is your purpose? What, what concepts, themes, what ideas really shape the purpose of your words? What is the purpose of the way you allocate your resources, your time, your money? Are you really seeing the purpose of God's kingdom in the midst of your provision? Or what about the purpose in your questions and the great things that you seek to understand? Where is your study? Is your study focused in the word of God or focused outside of the word of God? And what about your suffering? Are you ready to lay it down at Jesus' feet today? Because he, he cares for you. He is here and he is waiting. So we're going to sing and we're going to sing of the goodness of God. As we sing of the goodness of God, I invite you to take whatever posture the Spirit leads you to in your worship. For some that might be standing and proclaiming. So for some that might be kneeling at the altar. 
For some, that might be quiet reflection. But let's worship together. This is an opportunity to proclaim the goodness of the King who rose again from the dead for us. Amazing love that welcomes me the kindness of mercy that bought with blood wholeheartedly my soul undeserving God you're so good God so good God you're so good you're so you right now to take your hands, just open them out before the Lord in a simultaneous gesture of offering your life to Him and receiving a blessing from Him. And let's sing this again. Oh God, you're so good. God, you're so good. 
our voices and God Amen. Remain standing. Father, you are good. And we praise you for your goodness today. In the midst of all of the challenges we face in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our society, in our world, Father, we remind ourselves that what you have accomplished at the cross is a greater provision than any provision we need today. And we rest in that. We rest in eternity that has been secured for us. We rest in the anchoring hope of eternity with you in heaven. And Father, we praise you. We praise you for your provision and protection in these days. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now remain standing and receive the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.